Coming up, we'll speak with Ben Armstrong at Netherworld about how their season went and what challenges they'll face going forward into 2023. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the HAN Show, we bring the haunt industry to you every weekday. We have news, education, and on-location coverage from Halloween experiences around the world. Whether you're a professional or enthusiast, each episode helps you better prepare for Halloween. Outside of this podcast, we have videos, education, and even events. Links to everything are in the show notes. Consistently ranked one of the top haunted houses in the world, Netherworld in Stone Mountain, Georgia is a pillar of the haunted house industry. The theme evolves yearly, with each season seeing massive renovations. Today, we'll speak with co-owner Ben Armstrong about his season, the future, and navigating the upcoming Transworld Halloween and Attraction show in St. Louis. This interview was recorded on location during Netherworld's Lights On Tour on December 10th. Here's Ben. My name is Ben Armstrong. I'm the co-owner of Netherworld Haunted House here in Atlanta, Georgia. Give us the top line of Netherworld. Netherworld Haunted House is, it's about monsters. It's about crazy things. We don't tend to follow trends of things like movies. We're more based on uh, literary sources, we're based on mythology, and we just like to do things that other people don't do. So uh, I wouldn't say we go against trends, we just kind of cut our own path, so to speak. One of our big influences for theming is H.P. Lovecraft and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we like slimy monsters and giant tentacles and all this kind of stuff. So this year, we decided to really go all in. And the theme for the main show was the undying horror. And in that, there's a hideous creature in this buried city, Carcosa, deep within the earth. And it's launching its tentacles up into the sky. And these tentacles are descending throughout the attraction, causing corruption, and they're birthing monsters. Uh, a lot of the creatures there are called sathlings, or these half-formed human creatures, but they also create gateways where other creatures can come forth. Uh, Netherworld is also the land of the dead, so we had a lot of wraiths and ancient dead roaming the corridors coming after people. So it had a lot going on, but you have this, you come in and you see the giant tentacles, as you can see several of them around you here, descending and creating this, these webs. And then later on at the very end, you encounter the creature. So this year we're doing a lights on tour at Netherworld. Uh, we usually do it every year. Sometimes we do them during the season. And a lot of people come through here and Netherworld is kind of an all-out assault on your senses. There's, a, there's so many animatronics, so many special effects, so many actors. You're just, stuff is coming at you from every direction. And there's tons of detail here, too. And people are often like, gosh, I wish I could see the detail. You know, I could go through this haunt a hundred times and not see everything, even when it's turned on. So we're like, well... Let's do a behind-the-scenes tour. We started them at our old location. We were about to leave that place, and we're like, you know, we're going to tear all this down. Why not show it off? Traditionally, uh, we don't like to show off a lot of our behind-the-scenes because we feel it creates a sense of mystery. I know a lot of attractions will show you literally everything in the haunted house. Uh, I don't mind showing a few little tasty bits, but it's like a trailer to a movie. A good trailer gives you an idea what the story's about, but doesn't reveal you know, the key beats. And that's kind of what we like to do. Tell me how you arrived at the Undying Horror for this year's theme. <clears throat> we arrived at the theme about the Undying Horror by sort of, it's a long story that's been building since we came to this location. And it's a battle between the netherworld and the forces that oppose it. And uh, 
the previous year was called Rise of the Nether Spawn. And this was a massive storm rolled out of this ancient burial ground and started encumbering the whole, the whole earth. And monsters came out of that. And this was a setup so that they could basically take over the world. So what's happening here is with the Undying Horror, it's the next phase in that assault. They're terraforming the earth to turn it into the netherworld. And there's a, a ragtag force of folks that are opposing it. These, these armored kind of wasteland warriors called the Brotherhood of Rom. And they're going down into this place to try to defeat this monster. So in the town here of Weisberg, you encounter a lot of them. You encounter them along the way. There's one of them standing up on one of these walls here. And it's sort of, they're trying to battle this creature. But there's, there's such deep theming. And a lot of that, is for the production. Like, what are we doing so we understand? I mean, many patrons are just going into a haunted house to have things scare them. Uh, you know, some patrons get into the lore and some get really into it. We like to have a, a storyline and a premise that continues. It may actually be kind of my background. I was, there's this thing people heard about called Dungeons and Dragons. You guys heard about that? So like 45 years ago, <laughs> I was playing that game when it first came out. So you could call this, you know, one of the biggest D&D campaigns ever. But uh, I've also was into all that kind of gaming. I haven't been doing it much, uh, honestly, since I began in the haunt industry close to 30 years ago because this is the all-consuming hobby job that, that gets you. You don't really have time for a lot of other stuff. Tell me a little bit about uh, how your show went this year. This year was frankly it was a great year for netherworld um our build was challenging uh we were right up to the wire getting it done as everyone is some years it always feels a little tougher but the minute we opened it was great um we just had the shows ended up really doing well the customer response was amazing i mean it's always generally good but you know when you really got a show that's kind of stepped up and the previous year, Rise of Nether Spawn, it also felt that way. So it felt like we were building on it. Uh, people often ask, you know, what affects attendance? And to me, I think the number one thing, thing that affects attendance is the performance of this year's show and the performance of the previous year's show. If you do a good show in the previous year, it, you're building what you have, okay? So this year, our attendance was up. I've talked to a lot of people that kind of had that they went, were up and they went down. Mm -hmm. um, of course, COVID was tough. During COVID, we opened at essentially half capacity. Yep. Uh, but the, the ironic thing there, I think the people that did come really got a great show because it wasn't as crowded. And then they came back and more people came back. But uh, we've worked really hard to process people through the attraction. And one of the biggest things I think for guest satisfaction, in addition to what you're presenting to them, I think is the weight. And we've gone to 100% time ticketing. Gone are the three-hour waits. They don't exist anymore. One-hour wait is probably the most you'll get here because we've really learned how to get people through the attraction and we really learned you know, how to stagger it. And not having to wait that long, I think, really improves the guest experience. What would you say to an attraction that is seeing that little post-pandemic bump a little bit? So a lot of things affect attendance. And uh, honestly, the best way to know why you're not growing or why you're slipping. You have to analyze the entire production. It's really what is the bottleneck in anything you do, any business, what is the bottleneck? Is it my location? Is it the performance? Is it my throughput? Is it my marketing? I mean, any one of these things could, could be a problem. Uh, I think 
one of the biggest challenges that people have is they struggle with throughput. Um, they have a show that cannot support a high level of throughput and not enough people come on the slow times and on the busiest of nights when you have, I wouldn't say unlimited, but a huge amount of possible customers, they cannot put them through uh, with, with a good show. So I think a lot of people are kind of built in to have that problem. Of course, there's other things, there's sports, there's weather. The last two years for us have been remarkable for weather. We had a big threat, of course, of a couple of hurricanes. They missed us, unfortunately, not so good for the folks in Florida, but um, that's what it is. So it's really hard to put a finger on what could be a problem there. Um, but it really, like I said, ultimately comes down to that guest experience. If the guests are having a great time and, and, and you know, you're going to continuously grow if you are creating space for your guests. Uh, in addition to the attractions here, we have a large midway, a very Halloween theme. There's food, there's fun, there's monsters. And people come out of the first show and they're like, what is this? It's not at the front. You don't see it. You know, you just get in your queue lines and you come out and, th and then you're in a whole new area. And people really seem to enjoy that. And it just adds to the total experience. So I would say, you know, if you are struggling with your attendance, you really need to deeply look at everything that could be a possible problem. And believe me, we do this every year. We re-examine almost every part of the business to create efficiencies, to improve what we're doing. What do you think is a good throughput someone should target? It's really hard to say what a good throughput is for an attraction because it's really based upon how the attraction is built and and their so, individual market too. Yeah, and also it's sort of like when you start an attraction, you kind of, you have to go slower because you don't have as much stuff. So when you don't have effects and tons and tons of actors and tons of all this sets, every moment has, to, I mean, you could put people into a room and entertain them for 30 minutes and they could come out and be happy if you did it right. Mm -hmm. So a new starting attraction has to rely on actors performing and holding people and getting them deeply into a story. The bigger you get, like the biggest you would look at would be the theme parks. And when you look at a theme park, people are just flowing through in a constant rate and they're being bombarded. That's sort of where we are at this stage in our evolution. Uh, we're now entering our 27th year. And uh, when we began, you know, we, we kind of had that thought in mind. That was how we were going to go. So sometimes, for example, let's say, you have an actor and he's your front room guy and he always does a one minute speech and you cannot ever change that. That might be your problem, you know what I mean? So, uh, but that's maybe also a big part of what's good about your attraction. Yeah. So you kind of got to weigh it. I, 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 I think in growth, um, you just kind of look at all that stuff. And some people maybe will never grow massively, but maybe they shouldn't because what they want to perform is a more intimate experience. Yeah, well, focusing back on you and Netherworld here. What do you think your biggest challenge is going to be for 2023? Our biggest challenge for 2023? Uh, you know, uh, the biggest challenge really is just to continue to refine the machine. Um, we moved, uh, this will be, I think, a, our sixth season that'll be in this building. And it, it's been a I won't say it's a struggle, but it's been an evolution as we continue to get it better. And we keep looking at new components to the puzzle uh, as to how we're going to improve. So we keep looking at that. Another thing that's always on people's minds is personnel, you know, the staffing. Yeah, it's been and, one of the big hot button yes. topics, right? 
And it's it's huge for us, but we've heavily, heavily focused on it. Uh, we've always kind of, I mean, most people do. Most people care deeply about their actors and their staff, and they make it. I mean, the first step for any Han Hunter, you got to walk out the door every day saying, I love my actors. If you develop a negative feeling about your actors, you know, you're setting your mind up for, for failure. I mean, so you should always kind of embrace your staff and, and, and everyone and kind of listen to them and work with them. But uh, particularly during the pandemic, we knew we had to focus on it. We were worried about people. There was, there was a lot of political strife at that time. People have different views of the world. So from day one, we were really taking an approach to kind of be very inclusive, to, to let, have people leave their problems at the door. We're all here together to enjoy Halloween. And we just focus on really making our staff as comfortable and as happy to be here. And they were so happy to be here during the pandemic. They were so happy to see other people. And we were very careful. We did everything, you know, distancing and mask and all this, but that continues to flow on. Uh, we're continuing to work diligently to do everything we can to support our staff, to show our appreciation, to work with them. And I think it's paid off. The way we handle staffing might be different from a lot of attractions. Uh, for example, we move people around a lot. So uh, when we really try to find what they're best at, it's a lot of times the way you know, theater or an attraction works, you say, okay, this is your spot, this is what you're supposed to do. And often the operator is frustrated by the inability of that person to perform in that manner. We're, we more kind of back end it and that we're sort of like, we try to find what this person is capable of. And we do this by positioning them in a lot of different things and finding what they're, are they really good at shock scares? Are they really good at being atmospheric? Um, what is their skill set? Are they athletic? Are they want to be in stunts, like run on, fly on a zip line? I mean, and you don't, you want to find what they're best at, and then you want to bring that out of them. And uh, that makes them happier. Like uh, we have an entire mask department. So when you're going to get your mask, they will fit that mask. If It's not like this is the mask for the scene, put it on. Well, I can't see how the eye holes, it's rubbing my ear. You know, this person is going to fail. But we'll We'll go through multiples. We'll, we'll get them fitted to when they're, this is great. I'm com I can see, I like it. I can perform, I'm scary. So when you give them the right tools mm -hmm. and you really learn who they are and you put them in a situation where they're gonna succeed, they're more likely to succeed. Yeah, it's like against traditional, traditional casting would dictate you are cast in this role, but you all are flipping it on its head and saying, what are the tools you need to be successful That's at right. the attraction? And and who are you and what, we, no, we don't, we, we think we know because I literally, we do not do, uh, you know, an audition. We do an interview, talk to the person, figure out who they are, what their background is, really learn about the person. I personally, along with my casting director, Jessica, will interview every single person that's going to work here. And I want to know who they are. And that way, as we're, you know, we talk about it, maybe they'll be good at this. And then we try it, you know, it didn't really work, you know, and we just keep moving them around. We're fortunate because we have about a, I would say we hire new one third every year and we retain about two thirds. That's, so that's a very high retention rate. We're generally able most, most cases to open within a completely old staff and the new people get cycled in. So they're just brought into the, the stuff and we kind of get a chance to see how they're doing without really you know, affecting the show too much. Tell me a little bit about the technology that you're using in the show. Netherworld is a very high technology based show. Now, one thing we don't do, we don't do a lot of central control. 
we found that for us, since everything is kind of separated, it kind of makes sense. You know, I guess we're worried about a mass failure, if that makes any sense. So most of the animatronics are your standard controllers triggered by switch mats or by, uh, you know, beam brakes or whatever, and they're independent of other things. Um, Lighting-wise, uh, we kind of light from all directions. Um, we, we use theatrical lighting. We use uh, Source 4 Lecos all on the ceiling, largely to do pattern breakups. Uh, gosh, one of the things uh, I love from Gantam was when they came out with a small Gobo Source. I bought so many of those. I think I was the only person buying those because, to me, breakups. You know, I love breakups everywhere. So uh, I'm always doing that or shooting through, you know, patterns to create it because the challenge with lighting I would say we light in a surreal manner. Um, people who light realistically, the problem there is it can be sometimes too dark or too bright. But if you, in a surreal lighting, it can be generally dark where you can light the primary elements. And I prefer to do that a lot, like I said, with breakups. So lighting is a big thing. Um, audio is a big thing. Um, uh, we do a lot of DMX control. We do sort of a storm thing. So we have a lot of strobes and DMX lights that flash color. When we did our storm uh, two years ago, uh, we, we sprayed like mist everywhere and we had lightning. And this last year with the Undying Horror, we changed the color so these, you heard the sounds of just cyclopean monsters and it was green flashes of lightning that were, that were playing off. So you have dark areas and then the lights will flash. You'll see like a green strobe and then, but then there's other lighting happening. Of course, there's chaos lighting a lot, you know, strobes, beacons, things of that nature. They're just sort of individually flickering. But yeah, we don't really do a, a unified control system. Um, it's, uh, it's all kind of separated. But you're using the DMX though. So Th that section you, is yes. all, it's all masked and tied mm -hmm. to a soundtrack, correct? Yeah, so whenever you're trying to essentially maintain a show that's part of the story, you need that DMX to, to right. tell that. Right, and we are also thinking, we also uh, tied in all of our Lecos to it as well. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that was a big thing when we first came in here. That was just a shortcut because I normally lit the entire haunted house with, with LED lights and it's very meticulous, it takes forever. When you're building an attraction, lighting is often the last thing you get to because you're out of time. So I cheated and I just put Lecos everywhere. And to me, it was still a little too bright, but now we've tied all those in the DMX so we can pulse them. So they're also pulsing and, and changing along with the flashes of light, you know, from the, the strobes. So it, it, that part is all tied to one system. Yeah. Transworld is coming up. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Transworld is coming. That's right. And it's coming soon. It's, it's coming early. early. It's, it's early. Uh, you know, I mixed feelings about that. Of course, they have to do it. it. They had to because of the renovations in the uh, convention center in St. Louis. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, man, there's not much time to prepare. But I'm also like, it's kind of cool when Transworld's over. There's so much time for a product to be delivered. So we'll see, you know, we'll see, see how it all feels. Um, but yeah, it's been very, uh, a very quick lead up. I work with Jen on a lot of the seminars. So uh, we closed the middle of November and the day after we closed, she was calling me. And we're like, what are we, you know? So we started working on it. Um, but uh, I think the seminars are strong. There's a lot of good stuff there. A lot of meat and potatoes and a lot of new things, a lot of new zest. There's some new speakers in there, new topics, which is kind of what you always want. You, you got to have the stuff that people need, the baseline stuff. And people, there's certain people they want to see speak, um, you know, that they're very popular. So we, we want those people to be back and presenting things that they present. But also, like I said, you want to get those new speakers, that new energy pulled in, just like, you know, a haunted house. You know, you want, you want your training experience actors, but I love it when the new people come in and they have that extra excitement. 
So, uh, no, I'm, we're looking forward to it. Um, I think, you know, I've talked to people. Some people did have a little bit of a slump. Uh, there's people I've talked to that had a slump in attendance, but that, that they're, they maybe made the same or more money because, you know, they're finding different Velvet ways ropes, to make money. basically, and add-ons, yeah. yeah. That's right. Um, that was something that we did a lot this year. Uh, we, we just continued to work at, in those areas and do the add-ons. And, you know, in the old days, you know, we had a gift shop, maybe sold some popcorn, but now that those add-ons are becoming a significant percentage of okay. what we do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Are there any specific topics uh, or seminars that uh, you think would be like to highlight? <clears throat> the challenge with topics at Transworld is that often the ones that you need the most, the the meteor business ones or the ones dealing with challenges. They don't look sexy, so people don't want to take they them. They don't generally have the <laughs> attendance. Generally, people want to go to the scare seminars yeah. and the things like that. You want to go to animatronics and prop building and they makeup, do. but you should be going to the ones about safety. That's right. And about throughput and marketing <clears throat> so you can analyze your marketing spend. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's kind of what has been the tradition, has been, you know, just on attendance levels. So you want to... You, we always try to get those business seminars in and the safety seminars in, but you want to give people what they want. So there's going to be a lot, of course, the, of the scare stuff because in many ways, I mean, this, we know this, this is a passion-driven business. There are many of the most famous haunted houses are haunted houses that aren't, people aren't necessarily making a living on. It's their side thing. Maybe it's supporting itself. So, uh, course they want to go and do the scares and the scene because that's the fun part you know um this time of year to me it's funny it's like i often feel like uh this part of the year is almost busier than the season because there's so much wrap up there's so much paperwork uh trying to get the new stuff designed so the crew can begin building simultaneously you know what happened last year so yeah business is always super important and you should attend those classes thinking back with what you know now, if someone were attending Transworld for the first time, what, how would you recommend they approach the show? Say it's an owner, though, somebody who sure. is, you know, in charge of a team. It's their first time they're bringing them to Transworld. What would you recommend? My recommendations for Transworld really relate to my recommendations for anyone getting in the industry. Um, uh, it's a tough industry, yeah. and it has a it has a it has a high failure rate. To be honest with you. And I always think you should critically question if you should even enter the industry. Uh, really, like, a, I, we have this drive. We want to build. We want to create. We want to follow our dream. And it's great to have that pumped up, but there's a realism to it. And I think what it really matters is what, if you're in a market of haunted houses, what unique thing do you have to bring, you and your team to bring? If you're not amazingly unique in some way you're another haunted house is because you want to do it i would question whether you do it now if you're going into an underserved area you know it's like a restaurant well there's not a lot there's not a lot of restaurants here you may have a higher probability of success as long as the, there's the people there to do it so first off what are what are you doing i wouldn't um upend what you're doing based on you know what other people are doing because you have to make it financially viable. Unless you're heavily supported by big money, you really need to go in with ideas and you need to do everything efficiently and uh, make sure that you're, you're, you've got a 
successful, it's a business. You can't just overbuy because you, oh, they've got all this stuff, you know, you can't do it that way. So really uh, analyze what your needs are going in, what you're up against, why you're doing it. You know, it may make more sense to, if you just love haunted houses, you know, it may make sense to work for one and, and work, work there. But, but if you've got a team, you got a spark, you got money, I mean, it'll take all your time, all your talent, and all your money. There's yes. no question. So really think about it. So analyzing Transworld, the biggest thing is to network. And you want to meet people. Um, you want to meet people that, you, that seem to be successful, certainly. But you really want to network with people kind of in your shoes and like a couple of years past you. Because their experiences immediately are more like what you're going to be facing. Because um, like, you know, I can remember all those early years. And it was a long, long time to grow this attraction. This attraction was not based on having a lot of money. It was like, you know, gathering up bits and pieces and starting very small. And we, what you see today has all been earned money over 26 years. So it's a long, it's a long way to go. Today's episode was edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope and original music composed by Chris Thomas. Support for today's episode comes from Gantam Lightning and Controls. Gantam illuminates attractions worldwide with the world's smallest intelligent spotlights. From Dark Hour to Netherworld, Super Mario Land to Hagrid's bike, Gantam goes where other fixtures can't. See what you're missing with a free demo? Sign up at gantam.com demo. That's gantam.com demo. The HAN team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Omni Adventures. Until next time, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.